Jesus has announced to his disciples, it's been repeated in, in chapter 8 and now in chapter 9, that he is going to be betrayed, that he will be killed, but that he will rise from the dead. And now listen to the way in which his disciples respond to that announcement. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, beginning at verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, How can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Let me pray as we hear God in his word as we apply it to our own lives. Father in heaven, we do rejoice for the ministry of Jesus, for his clear and direct teaching. And so, Lord, I pray that that you would expose our hearts, expose our own sinfulness, And Lord, Lord, that you would help us to do the work of of turning from sin, repenting, and turning to Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see who Jesus is. We would find our our hope in him. Father in heaven, we come to hear your word, to have you speak to us. And, And so, Lord, we ask that you would make the truth of your grace, your gospel known. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Like schoolboys caught in the act, the disciples now sit in a shamed silence. I mean, in the verse that came right before what we read, so what we looked at last week, Mark 9, 32, the disciples are too afraid to ask Jesus about what he's been teaching to them. But they're not too afraid to talk on the road amongst themselves. I mean, you can almost imagine the, the argument as it goes. Well, you think you're pretty great, but remember, you, you know, you, you failed to, to cast out that demon. 
well, you think you're great. I, I actually think I'm, a, you know, I'm at least a, a peg or two above you in the, in the rankings. I mean, I was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I stood there in the midst of, of Elijah and Moses. You weren't even invited. Now, you and I might think that if, if we were with the disciples, we, we wouldn't be so arrogant or foolish to argue out loud like this. And perhaps that's true because culturally, we, we jockey for position. We, we try and make sure we get the credit that's due to us, but we rarely will, will just point blank say to somebody else, I am better than you. Now, in the, the ancient world, actually, that was necessary to figure out where you fit in rank in society. You had to, you had to know who was your, your superior and who was your inferior. And so, so the, the disciples jockeying for position, it's, it's yes, it, it feels so blatantly obvious. We would not be this crass to argue as to which of us is the greatest. At least not out loud, right? Because we, we don't like when people don't recognize us for the things we've accomplished. We don't like when, when people kind of elbow us aside, when we don't get the credit we think we deserve. And we, like the disciples, struggle to serve. We struggle to, to see the reality of, of what Jesus is calling his disciples to, to lose their lives for the sake of his kingdom, to take up their cross and follow Jesus. And so Jesus sits the disciples down. He doesn't immediately start the way that I would start with, how could you fools be so dumb? The very last thing I was teaching you about was the fact that I, your master, I, the Lord of the universe, was going to be betrayed. I would have to give my life. And then you guys are dumb enough to argue about which of you is the greatest. Do you not see the the, the irony, the incongruity of, of, of what I just taught you and then the argument you're having. No, what does Jesus do? I mean, how does Jesus respond to, to the disciples, to their own self-interest, to their own greatness? Well, let's, let's look. Let's, let's just walk through this passage and see how Jesus responds. First, in verse 35, we see that he, he calls the twelve together. They're, they're in a house in Capernaum. It perhaps, again, is, is Peter's house, one of the disciples' homes. There, we've been in this house before in, in Mark's gospel, but, but he calls the twelve, his twelve apostles, these, these men that he called to be his, this inner circle of disciples. And he says to them, he gives them this principle, which we find not just here, but we find elsewhere in, in the teaching of Jesus. But Jesus says in verse 35, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He's saying, if you want to be first, then you must serve. You don't put yourself in the position of power. You put yourself in the position of ministry. And so then Jesus graciously gives them a picture. He calls one of the children of the home. He places this child right in the midst of the disciples. Then he wraps this child in his own arms and says to his disciples, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Now, children, in our culture, they might rule the home. They might get what they want if they complain loud enough and long enough. But in the ancient world, children were not, were not they were highly valued, but they weren't respected. They, they were 
people under authority. They, like the servants, were there in the household to be commanded. And so this, this picture of Jesus bringing a child into their midst and then wrapping this child in their arms is, is, a, is a visual for the disciples to understand. They're being called to welcome the least, the needy, because Jesus is teaching them that to be first, you want to know what it means to be great? It means to serve. It means to put little ones ahead of yourself. It means to set aside your own interests and care about the interests of others. This is the exact opposite of what the disciples have been doing, right? They've been saying, look how great I am. Look at what I've accomplished. Even perhaps trying to wrestle through Jesus' teaching about, about dying and, and what that will mean, about what the coming of his kingdom looks like. And Jesus says, if you want to be first, then you must become the very last. You must be willing to welcome a little child, even in my name. To be first is to serve others. But then John, he, he, he won't let it go. John is one of those three. He, and, we, and we know because in chapter 10, he's, he and his brother are going to bring this issue back up. You would think that they should learn their lesson here. But in chapter 10, we're going to see it in just a couple of weeks, they're going to go about again and say, you know what, Jesus, let's go back you know, to that conversation we were having about who's the greatest. You know, you've got a right hand and a left hand in your kingdom. How about you know, my brother and I? We'll be in, in those spots. And so, so John, he, he won't let it go. John wants to, wants to make sure that his position is clear. Remember, John is one of the inner. He's not just one of the 12. He's one of the three with his brother and with Peter. He's one of the three that is with Jesus at the most intimate moments of ministry. And so John won't let it go. Look at verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Do you see what what John is is doing? This is, it it might seem like, well, wait, we've completely changed topics. We've jumped to to something entirely new. And, And perhaps your Bible works the way mine does in in which the editors have, have given me a, a new subject heading here. But this is really the same issue. Because John is reasserting his own authority. You know what, Jesus, if people do ministry wrong, I'm going to step in and make them stop because they're not with us. You know, that guy casting out demons, you know, I look down the list. He wasn't in the top 12. He wasn't one of the 12. Therefore, I made him stop. Now, Jesus' answer to him is, do not stop him. He's ministering in my name. He is working for the sake of the kingdom. And so if he is working against the devil, if he is ministering in my name, if he is doing it for my glory, then don't stop him. But you see, John is, is not really interested in ministry taking place. He's not really interested in Jesus and his, own, his glory. John is interested in his own position. He's trying to protect his position. I made him stop because he wasn't one of us. Now, again, the irony should be pretty clear. What did John make him stop doing? Casting out demons. What was John unable to do in the the passage that came right before this? We looked at it last week. None of the disciples, the twelve, were able to cast out a demon. I mean, the foolishness of this. Here you have the disciples who who are unable to to do the work that Jesus gave them. So Jesus steps in and and serves by casting out a demon. And then in the the very next breath, 
the disciples try and stop someone from accomplishing things they weren't even able to do themselves. See, they're not interested in Jesus' kingdom work. They're, they're not really concerned about what he is doing. They're not, they're not serving the king. They're serving themselves. They're putting themselves in positions of power. And Jesus tells them, you are the one who needs to stop. Because for whoever is not against us, I mean, what Jesus is saying here is, if he is serving in my name for my glory and accomplishing my purposes, then don't stop him. The, the glory is mine. It's a kingdom glory which should spread out beyond the 12 of you. John, you're only interested in what you're going to get out of this. And, and Jesus presses further in verse 41. I tell you the truth, if, if anyone gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to me, the Christ, then to just give a cup of water will gain reward. So you don't even have to do great things like casting out demons. You can just serve in the smallest of ways. I mean, Jesus is, is, is trying to, to kind of grab John's attention and focus him on what really matters, serving others, serving the Christ. And it's actually unusual here that Jesus calls himself Christ. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll use that, that word will be on his lips, but it's always talking hypothetically when he's challenging the religious teachers. Well, what, would you, what, is, what does David say about the Christ? Most of the time when Jesus talks about himself, he calls himself the Son of Man. He uses a, a, more, a more roundabout description to try and, to try and keep the, the crowds at bay and, and keep them from killing him too soon. But, but he's here with the twelve. This is the inner circle of disciples. And so he calls himself the Christ. Jesus is saying, I am the anointed one who came to give myself in the place of, of sinners. I am the servant. And so if anyone is serving in my name, they will be rewarded. John, sit down. Stop worrying about your own position. Because to be first is to serve Christ. And Jesus continues. Again, my, my Bible adds a, adds a new heading, but, but you see that it just... It's the continuation of Jesus' teaching here. He again seems to kind of shift topic as he moves into to this very harsh language here about judgment and hell. But, but notice how it's, how it's connected with what we've seen. Look at verse 42. He says, If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. But you see, it's, it's the, the little boy is still here. Jesus is, again, returning to the, the theme of serving the, the little one in their midst. He's, he's returning the disciples' attention away from themselves back to what it means to be first, to serve others. And so he says in verse 42, if, if you cause another Christian, another disciple, even, even one who's weak, one who's small, a little one like this boy, if you cause him to sin, if you lead him into temptation, if, if you divert him from the path, if you point him to his, his own glory instead of my glory, it would be better for you. If you do this, it'd be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck. In other places, he'll, he'll, he'll say tied around your neck, but, but here, the, 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 I mean, it's, it, I mean it's, this isn't like a little hand stone that you're using to just crush grain. This is like, the, the language is, it's a donkey-driven stone. Like, this is a stone that's so big, you need to use you need to use animals on the farm to turn this giant stone. And so if you get thrown into the sea with this around your neck, you will sink immediately. That would be a better fate 
than for you to crush a little one. It would be better for you to be quickly and mercifully drowned. Because what is Jesus pointing to is the other option. The other option is, is the reality of the pain of, of hell. Jesus will, will keep, keep moving here. He'll say not only is there a danger in your, as disciples if, if you harm someone else, there's, there's a danger that lurks within you. Look at what he, what he says in, in verses 43, 45, and 47. You might actually notice if, if you were looking really closely that your Bible probably doesn't have a verse 44 or 46. And that's just because in, in, in the, the translation, verses 44 and 46 are just repetitions of, of verse 48. And so the, the best manuscripts, the clearest manuscripts indicate that this, that phrase there, that, that the description of hell as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, was probably not a, a, a refrain repeated three times in the passage, but it was just given once. And in some manuscripts, it's placed in different spots. But in most of them, it falls where verse 48 does. But here we have, in verses 43, 45, and 47, Jesus' very harsh language against sin. Because he's, he's trying to, to show the, the disciples who they really are. They're exalting themselves as, which of us is the greatest? And, and Jesus just wants to stop and say, take a look at your life. Are, is your life really free from sin that you can claim to be the greatest? Do you really have it, have it all together that you, on your own strength, can really make that claim that, that I'm the greatest? I deserve a position of, of, of power and authority in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus says in, in verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 45, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. 47, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, Jesus is speaking in this, this horrific hyperbole. I mean, he's not, he's not actually expecting his disciples to to physically mutilate themselves, but he wants them to see as he speaks in this language that, that is so overwhelming that he wants them to, to be a little bit horrified by it. I mean, to hear, this, to hear this teaching, I mean, this is the contrast with Jesus wrapping his arms around a small child to remind us about the ministry of service, to now describing the, 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 the painful and brutal way that you and I have to deal with sin. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your feet cause you to sin, Cut them off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What Jesus is saying is you need to look at yourself and take sin seriously in your life. You need to consider the things that you do and be willing to change them. You need to consider the places you go and and be willing to to change that. You need to consider the the things that you view, what you look at, and be willing to, to change that. I mean, Jesus is, is saying, if you're serious about the kingdom, if you're serious about, about being great in God's kingdom, then get serious about your sin. And I think many of us, many of us, we, we kind of don't like this teaching of Jesus. We're okay with Jesus' teaching when it's comfortable for us, even when it's inspiring to us. But here, this is horrific. I mean, Jesus is saying, look at your life and rid it of sin. 
And that's going to mean your, your life will, if you're following Christ, look different than perhaps some of your friends, your coworkers, your classmates. Because the things, the places they go will be places that you decide, you know what, I shouldn't go there. The, the things that they see, you might decide, I, I won't watch that. And yes, it, it might put you in the place of, of being called a, well, you know, you're just a, you're a prude, you're a goody two-shoes. You, you, you might just have to say, you know what, I, I know myself. I know the sin that lurks within me, and, and I've made a decision not to go there. Not to do that. Not to view that. It, it might even mean making choices that people would just look at you and say, wait, really? Like, you wouldn't watch that? Now, if you're, if you're afraid of being just so culturally out of touch, then go read a review article about the movie or the, the television show. You don't even need to see the whole thing to be able to speak meaningfully about it. And actually to speak meaningfully and say, you know what, I, I just can't watch that. And I'm not going to legislate it for you because if, if I try and draw the lines for you, I'm going to draw them in the wrong places perhaps. But you need to take it seriously. I mean, if, if you've never said, you know what, I just can't do that. If you've never said, no, I, I can't go there. If you've never said, I don't think I should watch that. Then perhaps you're not taking sin seriously. I mean, maybe it would even be something as as ridiculous as saying, you know what, having, you know, having a, 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 a phone in my pocket that, that lets me access whatever I want, whenever I want, I just can't do it. And you might think, how would, how would I survive in the modern world? Just remember that people for generations made it through life without immediate internet access. Now, it might mean at times you have to actually remember, like, oh, you know, like you can't just, like, ask Google to give you an answer immediately. Now, people are going to look at you like you're crazy. Why would, why would you do that? And you, and you say, because I know my own heart. And I know the sin that lurks within me. And so, so I, I want to avoid going to places where I know that the temptation will be too great for me. I'm not willing to look at that. And so and it means partnering with others. I mean, Jesus is, is using the most horrific of image. It's, he's saying it's better for you to, to enter life maimed. It's, it's better for you to to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And the descriptions he gives us of, of hell here are, are awful. He describes it in verse, in verse 43 as a place where the fire never goes out. Verse 48 tells us it's a place where the, the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. Now, is... Is Jesus speaking of the literal fires of hell, or is he speaking figuratively? Honestly, I don't think it matters. I think the image is awful. If it's figurative, it's the worst imaginable thing. And so to really experience it would be as bad as being in a fire that cannot be quenched, that never goes out, and yet does not consume. I mean, that's what faces us. Apart from Christ, that's what faces each one of us. If we choose our own path of sin, then the reality is that we deserve to be thrown into hell. And I know, I know this, this sounds so unsophisticated to say that there is a place of eternal judgment, a place where, where you will be punished for your sins. But remember, 
I'm not the one making this up. These are the very words of Jesus. Jesus is the one describing hell for us. And, and actually, you know what? We, we are desperate for a world in which we have someone, Jesus, who will bring about judgment and justice. We, we actually long for a universe in which the, the sins of those who harm us will be punished. Because otherwise, we'd live in a, in, a, in a universe where there is no right and wrong, there is no justice, and, and all the pain and sorrow that you feel, well, that'll just be left to you. I mean, hell, yes, while it's a horrific image here, it's also a, a comforting reminder that Jesus himself is in control, that Jesus himself is our Savior. And so to be first is to destroy sin. To be first, we, we serve others. We promote Christ. We destroy sin. But there's a, there's a danger that you and I might say, okay, I'm going to get serious. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to love them well, and I'm going to deal with sin. And you're going to go out, and you're going you're to start in a sprint, and you're going to start to get tired. And you're going to think, well, you know, this, this really isn't working out well for me. Because on your own, you, you never will conquer sin. On your own, you can, you can try and make yourself good, but, but really you're just back to where the disciples started. Started with arguing about how great they were in themselves. You see, if you just, if you just try and deal with your sin... If you just try and deal with your ministry, if you just try and deal with serving others in your own strength, then, then really all you're doing is doing what the disciples were doing in the first place, building up their own greatness. So you and I need the reminder that, that Jesus is our example here. In the, in the next chapter, chapter 10, when James and John will bring this back up about how great they are, Jesus will repeat to them in, in Mark 10, 43, he'll say, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus is the one who came to serve, to serve these disciples who in hearing the teaching about Jesus' ministry, essentially ignore it and just start talking about how great they are. Those are the ones Jesus came to serve. Sinners, selfish sinners. And that's, and that's really kind of the imagery that, that Jesus ends with in verses 49 and 50. Verse 49, he says, everyone will be salted with fire. Now, how many of you use that expression during this week? Yeah, I, it, it's, it's admittedly a very enigmatic statement. And so as, as, as you wrestle with... Now, we understand the, the imageries of, of fire as a, as a purifying act. It, it, it burns off everything that, that shouldn't be there. And, and so when, when connected with this imagery of salt, it, it likely takes us back to the Old Testament. In Leviticus, we're told that, that when the, the people brought their offerings, they, they sprinkled salt on them. We're, now, we're only told that in one place, so it's, it's not a common metaphor, but Jesus is combining this metaphor of of salt and fire, of, of bringing a sacrifice. And then he uses the imagery of salt in verse 50 in a way that, 
that makes more sense to us, at least if you've heard him speak elsewhere in the Gospels, that salt has a preserving, uh, salt has a, a flavoring role. It preserves meat as well. And so, so you and I are meant to be the salt of the world. But, but what Jesus is doing is, again, pointing us to our great need to be purified. Jesus is the sacrifice, salted with fire. You see, there are only two, there are only two options here in Jesus' teaching. The fires of hell or the fires of sacrifice. Those are the only two options. Now, you, you might be here today, and, and, you know, as you've heard Jesus speak to his disciples, you're, you know, you, you want to kind of take a step back and a deep breath and think, oh, I'm not really sure about this Jesus. But that's to, to choose your own way. And when you choose your own way, Jesus has said, it's for you the fires of hell. See, your only hope, my only hope of escape, my only hope to to deal with the sin in myself, to serve the others around me, to, to minister in the name of Christ and for his glory is to see what Christ has done for me. It's to be reminded of what Jesus said back in verse 31, that he came and that he would be betrayed into the hands of men, that he came to be killed, but that he is the one who would rise again. See, Jesus has borne the the fire of sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that makes us pure and holy. And so what he's calling you to do is to turn and put your trust in him, to see that that your only escape from the fires of hell is, is that Jesus himself took the punishment on himself. And if you consider yourself a Christian, then you learn here what it means to be first. It means to serve others, to promote Christ, to destroy sin in your own life. Because you follow the Savior, the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus who came to give his life as a ransom in your place. And he's the one who calls you. If anyone wants to be first, He must be the very last. He must be the servant of all. Bow with me as I pray. Father in heaven, as we listen to your word, our hearts hearts push back. We don't want your... We don't don't want to take our our sin as seriously as, as... as your word demands. Lord, some of us are quick to overlook our own sin. We don't even want to stop and consider what Jesus is asking. And so, Lord, for each one of us who who calls ourselves a a Christian, who follows after Jesus, who declares that he is the Christ, our, our Savior, Lord, help us to see the sin in ourselves. Lord, free us from our, our desire to protect and promote our, our own agendas. Lord, and let us serve Jesus. Father, for those that listen, that, that hear these words of judgment, these, these sharp words, warning us of the danger of sin, let them see the, the path of escape, the hope of rescue. For Jesus is our ransom. Jesus is the one who came to serve us, even while we were in our sin. So Lord, help us to turn to Christ in faith. 
Lord, we come to declare that he is our rescuer, our savior. He is the Christ. Amen.